If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi, and welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am so happy that you are here. Today we are diving into a bit of history and I'm going to share with you some of the research that I have just been totally knee-deep in over the last few years regarding our American history and our Christian faith inside of this country that has not been around that long. Our history is not that long, so it's easy to track this, this journey of Christianity and I believe there's a lot to be learned from the patterns and and the the narrative and the path that this faith that we have been a part of has journeyed through it's it's fascinating the similarities and the patterns that our faith groups are still in that are so similar to those of the protestants back in the 1600s so I'm going to share some of these little facts and little details from what their faith practices were like in the 1600s in the colonies, how they treated people who dared to think differently, how they treated other faith groups who practiced their faith differently, how they treated their own people inside of their religious circles and the rules and regulations and expectations they had on them. It's just a fascinating look behind us. And I I believe that you will find a lot of insight and a lot of connections to your own faith experiences inside your faith communities as we look back in history a little bit. So as you can tell, I'm kind of excited about this episode. I love history. So this is a fun one for me. I have to mention also that our Facebook podcast group is just such a little fun group of people. And I would really love your voice and your presence inside of it. So if you haven't joined yet, you are invited to join. You can go to my website, justajesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. You can opt in there. Also, if you would like to support what I'm doing here with this podcast, there are a few ways that you can do that. One is by rating this show on iTunes, leaving a review, subscribing, those things are an easy, easy way to support this podcast. Also, we have a Patreon page. You can easily support us through Patreon. There's a link um, in the show notes to, to our Patreon page, and there's also a way to get there from my website. Again, justajesusfollower.com, and you click on the link for Patreon. And there's a fun little perk with becoming a Patreon. If you support this show with a minimum of five bucks a month, which is like a cup of coffee, which we talk about coffee all the time in our Facebook group, um, I will give you an email once a week that has my personal notes from the show episode. So 
If I'm teaching, you will have my personal outline and all of my notes and my thoughts behind everything that I'm talking about. If it's a guest, I have the outline for the show and all of the notes and highlights from the guest and things that they said that struck me and why they struck me. And it's it's like having your own personal little secretary once a week taking notes for you for every show. So that's a little bonus, a little perk, a way to say thank you for supporting this show. So... Happy you're here, and I can't wait to dive into this episode. So here we go. Today we're diving into a bit of history and if history gives you this like, ugh, I'm reminded of high school feeling like I don't want to sit through a boring lecture of history, let me just say that history has come alive for me in the last couple of years and I always liked history in school. Truth be told, it was one of my favorite classes, but What I have just loved over the last few years is diving into American history and seeing the patterns of faith and the patterns of religious beliefs and religious practices that started from the beginning of America's history and how we are still in so many of these same ways of thinking and these same patterns. It's just been fascinating for me. I've been researching it for a while and um, the more I dig into it, the more excited I get because I I'm, I feel like I'm connecting threads, I'm connecting dots of why we are the way we are and why our faith communities are separated the way they are and why so many of us have been mistreated inside of our faith communities and equally why so many of us get frustrated at seeing our neighbors be mistreated inside of our faith communities. So there's a lot to be learned from history. I posted on Instagram um, earlier this week, over the weekend actually, a picture of my littlest one, Noah. Um, she was on the grounds of a historical site that we were sightseeing. And that's something that I love to do in my free time is is research history and go sightseeing. But I also love to introduce my children to it when I have the opportunity. The Civil War era has my attention right now. So we were visiting the grounds of a home and the property and um, the plantation and all of the good things that come with Civil War era type homesteads. And it was just fascinating. And And I put on my post because this thought just was resonating um, in my mind while we were there was the best way to protect our future is to learn from our past. And I think it's It's a grave mistake that we make as a nation, as individuals, as communities, as people groups to ignore our history. Because truth be told, American history is not that long. It's quite short. And and it's naive of us to believe that what happened 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 years ago doesn't affect us today. It does. And so... I really want to preserve 
history in my mind and in my children's mind and in people that I talk with, my friends will tell you I am shooting off history stuff all the time right now because I'm just entrenched in it. So I thought that it would be beneficial to you guys to share all of this stuff that's just been percolating inside of me and all that I've been threading together and and absorbing and learning and and I want to to share this with you because it, it truly just excites me and I think it will not only connect some dots for you but but bring some understanding into all of these question marks we have around why does the Christian faith seem so messed up on so many levels and where is the hope and where is the silver lining well Like I said, the best way for us to move forward is to understand the past. So when when we look at, we're going to take the the Protestants, we're going to start with them. And these people were a hardy group of people. Um, You know, we all know of their pilgrimage here to to America, to the States, and, and how they just, in the dead of winter, started a life and started a community and, and literally made homes from nothing and created this sense of of homeship and this sense of community out of nothing in the dead of winter. It's just remarkable. And so there's a deep amount of respect as we all share for the pilgrims. You know, we want to focus on them. And we all know that they they came here to escape religious oppression, which is so inspiring on so many levels. And I think it's important to remember how they were treated in their homeland of Mother England. You know, they, England had gone through numerous kings and queens on the throne, and, and each of them had, had different religious beliefs that in their time period, whatever the religious beliefs were of those in charge became the religious beliefs mandated for everyone. So the idea of having people with different beliefs living in community together was not an idea that was welcome. Their there was persecution, there was awful treatment of those who opposed whatever the authorities, the kings and queens, would state were their religions. And what was so crazy was when a new one would take on the throne and push their religious beliefs, the whole country had to like shift gears and be like, oh, now we're Catholics, or oh, now we're the Church of England, or oh, now we're this. Very confusing. And the Protestants were a minority and their their faith practices were made fun of and not allowable and they were persecuted and so they make all of these pilgrimages right outside of their little space in England and they eventually make their way to America so they come here and they're so thankful to get to start their own way of life with their own religious beliefs well one thing that they brought with them was the the sense of religious practices, religious beliefs becoming the law of the land. And as many of us know, um, no matter how many commonalities a group shares, it only takes one division to deeply and sometimes violently segregate a, bro- a group of people. And as more and more people immigrated and came to America to start their own lives, they brought with them their different beliefs, which was a setup for tension right off the bat, which was a setup for 
there to be issues. And and we're going to tackle some of that today. But I want to focus in on this group of Protestants. So some interesting things about their way of faith and their way of putting their religious customs into law was, and these are just some fascinating facts, church attendance was hugely, hugely important issue. And and they looked at attending church as is a very serious legal matter. And so there were colonies that had laws that said if a man was absent one Sunday, he would not be given his allowance of provisions for a week. If he missed a second time, he would be whipped. And in some places, both men and women were whipped, both both of them in front of the entire colony. And and as crazy as this sounds, if a man dared to miss church a third time, it was likely that he would be hanged. And so this idea of, of church attendance and arriving at a building once a week, this is nothing new. You know, and, and there and I've been in churches that if someone missed a Sunday or if they wanted to take a break from church, it was like shamed sometimes quietly sometimes you know it was a look or something you'd get if you'd been gone for a couple weeks but there is a very loud overarching theme that being committed to Christ definitely means church attendance consistently and this is nothing new and back then they would whip you or they would eventually hang you and Thank God we have moved past those practices. But this idea of of being shamed for not attending church is not a new idea. It was law back then. And um, depending on what faith community you come from, you may have felt like it was law to you too. But, but this idea was nothing new. Okay. Not only was attending church a serious deal, but the sermon was a big big freaking deal. And I was shocked when I learned that they had they had an hourglass that would sit on the pulpit and the sermon wasn't considered finished until it had been turned at least three times. Three times. And I mean, I like a good sermon and I, I like teaching and preaching good sermons, but holy cow, three hours? Like, I, I can't even. I can't even. And these people... Had to sit there and stay awake, and they they had men and women separated on two different sides, and there was usually someone appointed to ensure that the groups were paying really close attention. And so, this person that was appointed to do this, he would have a um, like this long stick, and it had a hard knob on one end and a little feather on the other, and he would use the hard end to knock the heads of the men who fell asleep during the service, and then he'd use the feather to tickle the women if they weren't paying close enough attention. And so while you were in church, you had no option but to stay awake, avoid any sort of like laughter or silliness or talk or play or anything like that. I mean, it was like a sober event. And remember, if you didn't attend, you could risk being being whipped or, or God forbid, being hanged. I mean, this was a very sober, serious matter. And so, you know, this idea of, of religious beliefs being being 
law, like being tied to law and being tied to this idea of it is our way or no way. And there is no one who cannot, um, who, who can get away with thinking differently that this is, this is how our, our history of our country began was with a practice of religion like this. And you got to remember, you know, when they, when they arrived here, it wasn't all that long ago that, that England had put into them these, these divisive religious ideas where control and oppression and division was literally all that they knew. They didn't know any different. And in their minds, the law of the land was the religious law. And, and any idea of people being separated or, or thinking differently was, was very foreign. So as, as harsh as a lot of this sounds... This was all that they knew. It was truly all that they knew. Now, as I mentioned earlier, other people with other faith practices and other beliefs started coming to to America and bringing their traditions and their customs and their religious beliefs with them. And the Puritans, from what I can tell, it sounds like they they weren't necessarily going to go after those people and push them out of America, but they were not going to stand for them coming and mixing with their people. It was like, you do your thing over there, we're doing our thing over here, the two shall not meet. And they the closer other groups of people came to their midst, the more tense history seems to to become. And and a great example of this is when the Quakers arrived and they arrived about 35 years or so after um, the Protestants or the Puritans, whichever way you want to call it, had come here. And and the Quakers were were this very, I like to call them like the, the new agey, hippy dippy um, <laughs> kind of kind of faith practice. Like they didn't have a minister. They didn't have any singing, no praying. They, in their mind, it was the most holy thing to sit quietly and meditate on God. Now, in England, the English church had like zero tolerance for any of that. And so they drove out the Quakers just like they had dro- driven out the Protestants. So, so you know, you, you would think that the Protestants would have compassion on the Quakers knowing what they had been through. They'd been through the same thing, but but there was zero compassion. In fact there was immediate tension and there was immediate like this sense of our ways are being threatened and um and they did not take the quakers arrival lightly in fact it wasn't long after they came and they were getting too close for comfort that the protestants were whipping quakers in the streets they were cutting off their ears and noses and putting cleft sticks on their tongues to keep them from talking and that's just some of the various ways that they use to punish them. Um, one particular thing that seemed to really tick off the, the the Protestants was this idea of women being allowed to speak and preach. Because Quakers embraced this idea. They believed that women should be allowed to preach and pray as much as they liked. And it's it's interesting, isn't it, that this is still an issue? Like, you know, I read th- these stories in history and I'm just like, 
oh my gosh, we have not progressed that far. Like this idea of it being this biblical mandate that women cannot be allowed to speak or cannot be allowed to teach or have authority or what have you. It's such a hot button because there are groups that just embrace women and embrace the giftings that God has put in them and embrace, you know, what what they feel passionate to bring to their faith community. And and then there are others that are just like, absolutely not. The Bible says no, you know. And so this was a, a very, very hot topic between these two groups of people. And there was this woman by the name of Mary. And, and Mary was a spitfire. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Mary because it's it's worth talking about. She she heard about all the, the persecution of the Quakers in Boston was where a lot of this was happening. And she just determined herself to go to Boston and preach on the streets in protest of all of this persecution in defense of her faith because she was a Quaker. And when she started doing this, she was, of course, driven out of town. This happened twice. She was told, don't come back. But this woman was compelled to preach in Boston and and she continued to go and speak on behalf of her friends and her faith. And the third time that she returned, she was taken before a judge and the judge offered her a choice between hanging or leaving the colony for good. And as you can kind of feel with the temperament of this woman, she refused to leave and she accepted the sentence of hanging. And and if I remember correctly, her husband pleaded for her, her son pleaded for her, and um, I believe that she was dismissed from that, like her husband or her son, one of them got her out of it and drove her, they said, you have to leave the colony, and she of course, returned, same passionate, same um, passionate belief towards defending her friends and her faith, and she was hung. And um, I, I, I read that story the first time, and I was just so sad, so sad that something in Scripture that seems so minor. I mean, really, if we are going to to dig into this book and dig into the text and dig into theology, yes, we can find probably hundreds of discrepancies and unclear parts and and contradictive statements and and argue our teeth till the end of the night trying to figure out what it all means. And yet, People historically have been so driven to be right and so driven to be the one with the way and the answer and God's chosen people that they're driven to hang people for speaking out differently and for standing up against persecution of their friends. And you know, we don't hang people anymore, per se. But I would venture to argue that we may not hang them in the streets, like like Mary was hung on the streets of Boston. Um, but we certainly do hang them on social media. 
We certainly do hang them inside of our church groups. We certainly do hang them on Facebook and from sermons and by banning their books from bookstores. You know, this this way of thinking and this practice is nothing new. We're just a little bit more civilized in how we do it. You know, I'm being kind of harsh on on the Protestants. I will say there were there were some that didn't agree with this line of thinking and with this type of behavior. And um, there was a woman who went down in history for this, and her name was Anne Hutchinson. And she was devoutly religious. Like, she studied scriptures all the time. And um, from from what I can tell in the records about her, she was very intelligent, and she was a very um, deep thinker and, and a, and a um, very very driven to find truth, if that makes sense. You know, I I know right now there's a term going around truth seekers. (laughs) Sometimes I find myself more identifying with that terminology because I feel that, like I want to find the truth, right? She embodied that, that phrase of being a truth seeker. She seemed very driven to, to figure out and get to the bottom of things. And, um, It wasn't long before she started to question the ways of her faith and the ways of her faith community, specifically the treatment of her fellow churchgoers. And and I didn't mention this earlier, but not only did they have those strict beliefs around church attendance, but they also, in Virginia particularly, they had these practices where if you were caught doing a sin. And of course, a sin could have been anything such as like, I don't even think men could kiss their wives on Sunday because it was the Sabbath. I mean, a sin could be a number of things. If you were caught doing a sin that they found deemable to be punished, you would have to stand inside of church with a sheet over your head during the whole service. And for other crimes, other sins, um, they would they would pin a a um, the name of your crime to your chest, and you'd have to stand on the church doorsteps as people walked by, and they read what you had done. It's similar to the whole idea of a scarlet letter, um, and this idea of of shaming and humiliating and mocking because they they would. For some, this wasn't in all of the colonies, but for some, they would even put them in the center of the village and and have people surround them and mock them and laugh at them um, and make fun of them. So this idea of humiliating and shaming people for bad behavior, quote unquote, this this type of mentality, it, it really bothered this person, Anne Hutchinson. She It bothered her. It bothered her. Um, the way they they treated her fellow church members. And um, she began to question specifically the idea of predestination, which is fascinating because these conversations have been going on for so long. Um, And she was quoted saying, if God has predetermined me for salvation or damnation, how could any behavior of mine change my fate? So she she was showing this this way of critical thinking that was very out of place for that community and especially out of place for a woman. But her free thinking and her questioning 
was viewed as dangerous inside her faith. And especially the more dangerous it became as people began to listen to her. And it was recorded that over 80 community members would gather in her home weekly to hear her commentary after the pastor's Sunday sermon. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and hear those discussions because the way this woman thought and the way she questioned, I'm sure were just riveting. And and the people in her community found it riveting and would attend her home and listen to her commentary. Fascinating. So she was quite a revolutionary. Um, but as you can imagine, she found herself quickly out of place inside of her time. And she was arrested and charged with heresy. And it's said that during her trial that she argued quite intelligently, um, but the court found her guilty and banished her from Massachusetts in, uh, I think it was early 16, like 1630s-ish. So, you know, there were people that were brave that were speaking out, and she's one of, of others and that have been listed in history as being charged with heresy and, and arrested and thrown out and people were hanged. And I mean... Speaking out against your faith group's beliefs and your faith group's narrative, it was a very, very serious crime. And, you know, when you fast forward to here we are now, not that much further into history, I might add, here we are. And, and I can't tell you how many of you write to me and tell me how, how fearful you are of being open about your questions, about being open with your faith communities, about some things that you are starting to question or think differently about and how, and how scary that feels for you because you're, fe- you're fearing punishment. And you might not be arrested and charged with heresy, but it can certainly feel that way. You know, I look at Jen Hatmaker and I and I. And I see what she went through when she began speaking out about her questions and speaking out about her beliefs being against the narrative. And, and I've said this before, whether or not you agree with her is not the point. The point of, of me bringing it up as much as I have is the way she was treated. It was horrific. Her book's not being allowed to be sold in certain stores and her speaking engagements being canceled and on and on and on the list goes. And, and if you followed her online at all on her social media, on her, her website, Instagram, any of the places, I mean, you can just see where she was brutally attacked by her quote unquote followers. Um, and I, I see this as a pattern that it's almost like this, this narrative has been playing for so long that we don't really even know it's playing. Like this narrative has been so normalized in our history, not only your personal experiences, but the experiences of your ancestors behind you, the experiences of the church denominations for all of these years that really don't know any different. And in all fairness, weren't really set up for anything different. When you look at what they came from, from England, there's... There was not much um, room to think outside of that narrative because that was all they had known. 
And so, you know, I look at these stories and I look at where we are today and it, and it connects so many dots for me as to why would people do this? I remember seeing the way, like I said, Jen Hatmaker was treated and I was like, why are people treating her like this? I don't care how different you and my beliefs are. I don't care. I would not treat you that way. I would not call you a heretic because I don't believe I have any authority to say what is and what isn't a heretic. I am not God. I I don't care where we fall on tons of theology issues. I would not attack you on social media and belittle you and name call you. I would not yank away your free speech and not let your books be around. I wouldn't do that. Now, if what you was, were saying was harmful to a group of people or, or was in some way very detrimental towards my neighbors, yeah, I might speak up in defense for them, much like some of the characters I just explained to you in history have. But this idea of just attacking someone and excommunicating them from your community simply because they think differently is just appalling to me. And it wasn't until I started tying all of these these patterns together with with what we see in our own American history that I started going, oh, oh, of course that's what we do. It isn't until we stop and we look behind us at, at the wreckage, at the carnage that lies in the path that our ancestors have walked and choose to learn from that path that we will ever be any different because this is all we've known. So the hope I find in looking backwards and looking at our past is that we can see the narrative and we can see the need for a better way and we can see the harm in these practices that bring no fruit of anything good. All of this is bad fruit. It is stinky, awful fruit. All of it. And when we look at the example of Jesus, who did nothing but open his table to those who were pushed out, who did nothing but defend those who were about to be quote-unquote hanged, and it was stoning back then, but being punished for their religious discrepancies. Jesus showed us a better way and we still haven't gotten it. We still have missed it. And so, again, the hope is in looking backwards and learning and comparing that narrative with the narrative of Jesus and seeing hope for a better path ahead of us that we can start walking. There's also a lot of hope in this message, I think, in in realizing that <clears throat> when we look backwards and we see these characters in history like Mary Dreyer and, and, and Anne who were so brave and tenacious and bold, we look at them as heroes. And all throughout history, anyone who stands up against oppression, we view as a hero. But the thing is, is during their time, they were not viewed as heroes. These in particular were viewed as heretics. One was even killed for it. And so 
take courage if you feel like you are are swatting arrows when you start to to raise your hand and say wait a second wait a second maybe we don't have to treat that group of people like we're treating them maybe there's a better way hey wait a second maybe we're not going to shame that person for missing church five weeks in a row maybe there's a better way You know, when you start taking flack for taking a higher road and taking a better way that is not bringing harm to your fellow man, you're stepping in line with Jesus. And not only Jesus, but you're stepping in line with people in our history who have been brave before you and who have walked this path already and who we now look back on and say, thank God there were voices like that. Had it not been for voices like that, maybe we never would have evolved. Eventually, we evolved. Thank God. And so, when you feel that inkling to be brave and defend and speak out, remember that there are people in history who've already have done this. They weren't liked either. They were pushed out too. But they're heroes. So taking that hero's journey is not always easy. But doing the right thing isn't always easy. Doing the Jesus story isn't always easy. He never had a place of belonging outside his small little ragamuffin tribe of people. He really didn't. He was liked one day, he was hated the next day. He was welcomed one day, he was pushed out the next day. He was praised one day, he was crucified the next day. I mean, he didn't have... This, this sense of belonging outside of his tight-knit group of people. And even in that group, we know there were people who turned on him and betrayed him. That journey, that hero's journey, is not always easy. But I think it's the most rewarding. I think it's the most impactful I think it brings the most meaning and purpose. And I don't know about you, but when my children look back on my life, I would hope that they would see me in a light more like those people I mentioned than the ones that just turned and looked the other way or the ones that just went with the status quo and kept their mouths shut. I want to be someone who fights for a better way, who fights for a better, a better world for all of us, not just my little group of people, but all the little groups of people, because I believe that's what Jesus did. If this makes you like, want to keep talking about history, let me just say, I love talking about history. (laughs) And I'm happy to send any resources your way if this is something that's like fascinating for you. There are books I can recommend, all all kinds of people you could listen to. Um, reach out to me. I've said before, I hang out on Instagram a lot lately. And I think the reason for that is because it's it's an easy way for me to connect with you guys. I try to post on there at least once a day. And and I try to speak to this message of, of inclusion and love and the Jesus story and, and reminding you that you are seen and that you matter and that, and that there's beauty 
in this world and in this in this journey of Christianity, there is beauty in it. And so if um, if you're on Instagram, come find me. Come find me and say hello and send me a message and I would love to to chat with you and and um, encourage you as best I can and give resources if if you're interested in that also. I love this work. I have said that a thousand times before and I'm going to say it a thousand times again. It is so awesome getting to hear your stories and walk with you on your hero's journey because all of you are on one. I believe that. I believe that all of you have a hero's journey to walk. I do. I sincerely do. I think that's why you listen to this podcast. I think that that's why you are connecting with what we talk about here. And I think that that's that's why we are all kind of in this conversation together. I sincerely do. And so I admire your journey and I applaud your journey, whatever it is. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. So I'm here to support you. I'm here to cheer you on. And I can't wait to connect again next week. We'll see you then. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.